were following along, she was reading from Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And last week, we started a series about the prodigal church, people and churches that have lost their way. Major Jonathan started us off with this parable of the prodigal son, and he explained that prodigal meant spending recklessly, in other words, being wasteful, and that we needed to be cautious, ensuring that we are not wasting our own salvation in what God has given to us. And so today we're continuing by looking at the church of Sardis in Revelation chapter 3. Sardis has become known to us as the church with dead works. So as we look at verses 1 through 6 and receive the message this morning, I want us to ask ourselves, are we dead or alive? In verse 1, the Lord says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I feel safe saying that all of us here know the difference between good works and bad works. Typically, even someone with a conscience that doesn't follow Christ Their conscience will reveal to them when they do something bad, right? When they lash out in anger, disobey their parents, or or that using drugs is bad. Our conscience tells us that. But what about dead works? What does the Lord mean when he says that they are dead? And what is the cause of dead works? First, it's important to know that dead works are a form of hypocrisy. And they are hard to recognize. Because they seem good externally, but they corrupt and kill us inwardly. It's like a slow poison that can't be seen. So as we go through this scripture this morning, we're going to take a look at the history of the city of Sardis and the church there to help us put these verses into context as to what the Lord is saying to us today. Now remember, this letter was written from the Lord by John to believers, not unbelievers. He was talking directly to those who profess the name of Jesus and who have chosen to follow him. So in verse 1, we see that the church of Sardis has a reputation of being alive. At one time, Sardis was a predominant city. Because of its natural resources and location, other provenances in the area actually depended on them. And its walls were surrounded by steep cliffs, which provided it really, really good protection. Nobody would attempt or even come into the city. It was known as Sardis the Impringible, meaning fortified position, unable to be captured or broken. We can assume from the way that the letter starts off that the church here was also well known, just as well known as the city itself. But just like I mentioned, many things seem good externally on the outside, but inwardly, They were dying. The pride and confidence of their resources soon became the city's downfall. The guards grew careless, and twice in their history, it suffered surprise attacks. So what was going on in the church of Sardis and killing it from the inside out? In the second half of verse 2, we find our first clue. For I have not found your works complete, in the sight of my God. You see, they're attempting to work and live for the Lord, and by all appearances, they are. The church may have even been growing, but the Lord says that their works are incomplete. Some versions of the Bible say unfinished or unfulfilled. To be complete means 
Something is at full measure so that nothing is wanting or lacking. Somehow, somewhere, this church was missing the mark. So what causes that? And could you, could I, and our church today be making these same mistakes? Well, there are several reasons that causes our lives and our works to be incomplete or dead. But they, are all, they all really fall under this umbrella of just a couple. And since we don't have time to get into the details of them all, but I'm going to mention just a couple under this first umbrella, so to speak, because it's a caution to us. It's something we need to hear and be aware of. Two of them, which can take away the power of our deeds and fall under that first umbrella, would be becoming too comfortable and loving our traditions or ways of doing things more than people. And the second one would be when the church seeks religious prominence or pride instead of humble service. But again, the, all these really, reasons really, really come from the same place, the heart. Works are dead when they are not heartfelt, when they are led by the wrong motives instead of the spirit and love, and when they are designed by our limited knowledge instead of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Too often, our service to the Lord just becomes routine and obligation. How many of us and how many times have we come to church out of pure obligation and routine and have absolutely no joy while we're there? We're like little kids or grumpy teenagers that are being drugged into the church. And you can tell who is serving the Lord from a heartfelt place. You can see it in their face. You can hear it in their voice. And you can tell when someone truly cares when they're talking to you, when they go over and beyond the expectation. Have you ever asked someone if there was something you could do to help them? And then if they said yes or they call on you, you made an excuse because you really didn't want to do it in the first place. It was just the right thing to say. Or what about when somebody, someone does something for you, not because they want to, because, but because they have to? We don't like that, right? We want people to do things because they want to, because they love us. You know, the Lord, he feels the same way. Why do you think he gave us free will? It wasn't just to be nice. No, he wanted us to have the ability to make a choice to love him. God wants us to desire him, to live for him out of a place of joy and love and gratefulness for all that he has done for us. And then to serve others in that same way so that they too can experience his joy. Isaiah 64, 5 says, You meet with him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. The story of Cain and Abel are perfect, is a perfect example of improper motives. Somehow Cain's offering was incomplete. The Bible doesn't say exactly why Cain's offering was not acceptable to the Lord, but some believe he did not bring his first crops or the first produce from his crops. Or maybe it wasn't the best of his produce. Others believe it was because his offering was done from a prideful heart. But either way, we can be certain that Cain's offering was not from the right place in his heart. And the story ends with dead works and a dead brother. Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48 warns us, Because you did not serve the Lord with joy and with a glad heart, for the abundance of all the things he has given you 
Therefore, you shall serve your enemies. Now, if we go back to our passage in Revelation 3, in verses 4 and 5, the letter indicates that there is more going on than just improper motives. Sins that have soiled their garments. Let's read verses 4 and 5. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The phrase soiled, sorry, soiled their garments was significant to this culture because the soiling of garments meant that you were unclean, that you had sinned. I mentioned that there are two umbrellas, two main reasons for the church's dead and incomplete works. Two things that kill us from the inside that the Lord wants us to be aware of. Our first one was dead motives, and the second one is external pressures or preferences. Allowing and becoming fixated on those pressures and preferences instead of eternal, internal devotion to Jesus and to the work of God's kingdom. Now again, this can be a wide variety of things, such as focusing on worldly desires too much or too often, allowing them to become the idols of our heart, worldly fears or not having enough money, not getting into the right college or that promotion that we need, and the list could go on. All of these things, if we are not careful, can get in the way of our internal devotion, causing us to work and to live for the worries of the world instead of the kingdom of God. Now, any of these could have been part of the issues for the church of Sardis. But the one I was going to talk to you about this morning comes from their history. They were tolerating pressures and preferences of other beliefs and teachings, which were weakening the power of the gospel in the church's deeds and in their lives. In other words, they were watering down the truth. And I had a good sermon about all of that. I've been doing a lot of research on it this week, and it's a passion of mine about how the church is getting so lost in watering down the gospel message. And I really wanted you to hear it. But as I was going back and reading through my sermon last night, I got stuck on the worldly fears part, that we all have these worries and fears about not having enough money and our kids' future and education, our own careers and lives. And I couldn't shake this feeling. I felt like my heart was and spirit was being swayed for us to talk about that this morning. And the Lord was changing my sermon. <laughs> so, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to be obedient to the Lord and maybe there's people here that are dealing with these same fears and worries right now. The world that we're living in has gotten crazy. I mean, we just talked about the fires in Hawaii. We've seen all kinds of sicknesses and this inflation. But there are people here that are letting that become their focus. You're so caught up in what is going on in this world and in your own little world that it's making it hard for you to see what the enemy is really doing. And it's understandable. 
Just like we said, inflation, money, all of this stuff, we need these things, right? We want peace. We want happiness. We don't want to live in turmoil. But it seems like every time we turn around, there's a new problem and a new worry. The city of Sardis suffered from blindness too. They were, but they were blinded by their confidence in the wrong things. And even after the church started declining in its resources and reputation, whenever John wrote this letter, they clung to the great history and triumphs of the past instead of focusing on the Lord. And they insisted and believed that they would rise back up to their formal glory. And that don't sound bad, but the problem is that they were putting their focus on the wrong things and it was killing them on the inside. And I fear this morning that it's killing us on the inside. The troubles of this world are killing us. That's what happens when we focus on worries, right? They kill us, they paralyze us, they can cause depression, anxiety. Talk about dead works. The enemy is crafty and he's cunning. He's always looking for ways to get to the church. To kill our spirits and our efforts. And he's been doing it since the beginning when he tempted Eve. He knew that she was going to eat that fruit. And the moment that she did, it would kill her spirit. And then every time God tries to bring the people back to him in history, to bring their hearts back to him, Satan has a way of trying to stop God's plan. He distracted Sarah and Abraham with fear and this idea of not being able to fulfill the promise of a child. And then he does the same thing to their son Isaac and his wife Rebekah. Later on, when you look at the story of Joseph, the devil tries to distract him from his destiny that the Lord had shown him in a vision. His brothers sell him, and then his master's wife betrays him, and he's thrown into jail. Joseph could have chosen to worry and focus on all those things that were happening to him because that's what Satan wanted, and that's why it was happening. But God always made a way out of the pit. In fact, God used the very horrible things that happened to Joseph as a way to get him to his destiny. The enemy thinks that whatever he's doing to you, whatever's going on in your world or our world, that he is distracting us from God, that he's stopping us from our destiny and God's plan. But that's not true. And he blinds us with the worry and the depression and the fear and all the feelings. He blinds us from seeing the fact that God is actually doing something with that. And the problem is that we just won't get out of the way. We're just letting the fear control us instead of stepping into whatever God's plan is. If we could just learn to see our difficulties as teaching moments and opportunities for God to show his awesome power, then we wouldn't call them problems or worries. We would call them testimonies. The people of Israel were constantly worried and suffering in bondage and slavery. But God always made a way through Moses, other prophets. But again, the problem was that they could not see the real problem. Does that make sense? Amen. And now God has to send his son Jesus to try to make it all better. And he does. And he makes it easier for us because all we have to do now is put our eyes on him and to trust him. He says, put your faith in me. 
You don't have to worry about tomorrow. You don't have to focus on the future. You just have to focus on me, and that's enough. Jesus gave us life through his death. One death separated us from God, and the other death brought us back to God. That is exciting, and it's powerful. God says, you may be dead, but my love can bring you back to life. Sometimes we tend to look at church and our lives outside these walls as two separate things, especially when we consider all the roles in our lives. We're parents, we're children, we're a provider, a caretaker, a housemaker, community member, church member, employee, employer. We have so many responsibilities, and it's easy to pretend while we're here or to feel fine at church. It's easy to get the strength, but then when we go back into the world, it doesn't take long, and it's gone. The world extinguishes it, the fears and the stress. Major stated last Sunday that it's not, a, it's not just about coming to church once or twice a week, but it is a day-to-day life. We need to view this power and faith that we experience here in this place as who we are. View it as a lifestyle. Put our focus back on God and his work until the works that we do for the Lord become our lifestyle. You see, if we view our lives as living for the Lord at all times and in all things, then we begin to naturally produce his works. Our words, our actions, and our thoughts will come back to life. And when you're doing it for the Lord, when you're excited about it, you have joy in it. We should wake up each morning praising God that we get to live for him. Praying that he would lead us in his spirit to give us a passion that would burn inside and a joy, a determination like nothing else in this world, that nothing else in this world can stop. So let's pray that his righteousness would become the most important thing to us. Not our worries, not our problems, that all those things would just fade into the background. The reality is there's always going to be pressures that push against us, influences that challenge the absolute truths of the Bible. If we allow those pressures, preferences, or influences to become our focus, not only does it create dead works, it dilutes the power of the gospel message. The church of Sardis tolerated beliefs and other ideologies in the interest of peace. But whether it's peace, fear, or just ignorance that causes us or causes these incomplete and dead works, we must pray for the awareness and the openness to see the sin. Sin that tries to disguise itself, and we must choose not to entertain it in our personal lives, in our homes, and in our church. Jesus says in verses 2 and 3 from our scripture, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. And if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. We must wake up and strengthen our spirits. Wake up to this reality. If we don't, our efforts are in vain. And the Lord will not bless them when our deeds are either done with the wrong motives or we let pressures of life kill them. We are choking the Holy Spirit and he cannot work through us. 
And if that happens, we will have no protection from Satan whatsoever. That's why we get depressed or when we get depressed or caught up in this circle of anxiousness, this is so hard to get out because we've choked out the Holy Spirit. We're not hearing what he's saying. We just keep rehearsing these depressive, negative thoughts. It's, it's really a tactic from the enemy. He's just putting these thoughts in your head and he won't stop because he knows if he can continue to do that, if you can get caught up in that cycle, then you won't hear the Holy Spirit speaking truth to you. Just knowing how this can paralyze, our, paralyze ourselves on a personal level, can you imagine what happens to the church when the people inside of it are working out of these wrong motives or they're allowing the Holy Spirit to be choked out of them? It dilutes the power of the gospel message. And that is why the Lord is so blunt in this letter. Verse 3 says, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. God's word is so good because not only does he tell us the truth to keep us straight, he gives us the instructions on how to get back on the right path when we've been led astray. He doesn't just leave us. He calls us back. In verse 3, he says, I know you are dead, but I'm going to tell you how you can live again. He tells us to remember and repent. Remember what you have received, he says, and you have heard. What was it that the church had previously received? What was it that you have received? We've received salvation and the spirit of the living God inside of us. In the Garden of Eden, sin brought death to our spirit man but God, that God had breathed into us. But Jesus, he gave it back to us through his death. We serve a mighty, mighty God. God says you are dead, but my love can bring you back. Sin may be powerful, but I'm more powerful and I'm living in you. So repent from your sin and know that I am God. We've heard the word. We have it in our hands. We have to, as a church, as, as a member of your family, as a member of the kingdom of God, we have to dig deeper into that word. We have to study it. We have to ask questions. Don't just believe what you hear on the radio. You don't even have to believe what I'm saying. Research it for yourself and dig deeper and ask those questions because it's through the searching that the Holy Spirit will reveal the truth. That's another reason that we come together in this way, in this church. We come to search, to learn and grow in our spirit, to build up our faith. So let us remember what we have received from Jesus, the power to conquer sin and death, the power to conquer the problems that life brings. Nothing can compare to that power if you just let it work through you. And then he also said, repent, right? So let us search and repent anything that would be different from what God says, that would be contrary, that would keep us from him. Anything in our minds, anything in our hearts that would keep us from God. Because the antidote to sin and worry is repentance and surrender. It is more important, I mean, it is very important that we learn to create a culture here of repentance and we welcome it. We don't make people feel like it's a bad thing or it's shameful, but we want to create a culture that is alert to anything that threatens our faith and our dependence on him. I will be the first to admit 
that I have found myself putting things before God. And it can be something as little as watching TV. (laughs) In the evenings, or I don't know, maybe you do it more often, but for me, I can get caught up in the evenings wanting to watch TV because it's a chance for my brain just to stop working. And it just re- it's just a way of relaxing for me. But I can get so caught up that I'm forgetting that God is the one who gives me peace and relaxes me. And I'll neglect my time with him. And that is not good. I've allowed outside pressures <clears throat> to take my focus off of him. And even the understanding of his word. If I don't dig and study it and ask questions, it's easy to twist it. Especially when you have something in your own mind that you want to say. Writing sermons are hard because before I can stand and present this message, I have to discern my own heart, my own thoughts. And I have to cry and I have to pray and I have to seek his understanding. I have to wrestle with questions and sometimes I have to wrestle with God. I even call on my spiritual leaders for guidance and counsel because that's what we're supposed to do. None of us knows the answers to everything. And pleasing everyone is impossible. But it all comes down to the heart of a person. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's John 14, 27 and Philippians 4, 7. Family, Jesus came to bring peace between humanity and God, and that's what we strive for. Put your heart and your focus back on him, and as a church, we will be able to shine a light into this dark world to show them that peace is about God, not about living the way we want. This morning, I want to give you a chance, all of us a chance to repent and remember. Sarah is going to play a little tune for us on the piano as a time of reflection. And just for a few moments, I want to give you that opportunity to wrestle, to wrestle with questions and to put your heart on the altar. Then we're going to play that song that Angie danced to again. And I want you to remember who you are. I want you to remember what Christ did for you. That he gave you freedom. And yet you can give him all your problems and your worries. And you can praise him in the middle of the storm. When that song plays, I want to encourage you to just raise your hands. I want to encourage you to dance, to sing, whatever you feel, however the Holy Spirit is filling you, is uh, leading you to praise him. And I want you to have joy this morning, and I want us to be alive. Amen? So if you have questions, if you're struggling, if you need to repent, you know, worry is a sin. Some of us don't think it is, but it is. It takes the place of the Lord. It takes our eyes off of him. So if you have worries, if you have problems, it could be with your own life. It could be with your family, whatever. I just encourage you. And I want to give you the opportunity to come, to come lay it at the altar, lay it at his feet and just let him deal with it. It's not up to you. It's not your job. 
Your job is just to follow him. Dear Heavenly Father, we invite you into this place. Holy Spirit, have your way. Show us if there's anything in us that is keeping us apart from you, any worry, any sin, God. Give us the courage and the boldness to just give it to you. Help us to trust you this morning and not ourselves.